Good, good morning, morning, Robbie. How are you oh, doing? Is, good. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. It's interesting. I uh, pressed answer on my phone by accident, and uh, so now I've got it both on my computer. <laughs> I, I pressed answer on my computer. <laughs> Oh, I got myself into the screen there. I'm going to hang up on that one. Hopefully, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're still on. Good. Yeah. yeah. So no, I wanted to continue our conversation from last time, unless there was something else you had on your mind or wanted to discuss. Uh, no. Um, I. Um, yeah. Uh, where we have, pick up how whatever thread from the last conversation you want to pick up. Yeah, I think the issue is that, uh, you know, reflecting on things, I think we are, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to like, I think last time I was framing things a bit antagonistically in terms of my position is different than yours. And I wanted to step back from that and say, okay, let's focus on the things that we agree in and then discuss how to get there so that it's a bit more collaborative rather than combative. Yeah, so there was uh, your text had outlined things. Was that before our conversation? That was at the uh, end. That was a summary that I put in the show notes from our uh, last podcast. Okay. Right, so that was after after we talked. You sent me the distillation of four things that you think we agreed about. Is that right? And then I, yeah. I remember that yesterday morning. That's right. Okay. So I'm caught up on the order of things. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, the basic idea is that civilization uh, – has a lot of downsides, but we have to move forward rather than move backwards. I think we're kind of the, you wrote, the basic. You wrote, you wrote endemic, endemically corrupt, and I uh, felt that that was too close to being understood as intrinsically, as in irreversibly. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like a word that says it is pretty widespread, but not beyond consideration of trying to fix like the monopolies through the trust testing legislation. Right. So, so the word right, so that's what endemically means. Yeah. Right. And and I think there there are two interesting ambiguities which got interesting with all the typos, right? One is the distinction between endemic and intrinsic. Right. Uh -huh. And the other is the uh distinction between centralization and civilization, which is perhaps kind of related concepts, right, is that um, uh, you would say, well, centralization is actually the problem, or it seems that that's what you were suggesting. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that civilization, centralization is the problem, but that it uh, creates an environment that um, evil, if we can just shorten it to that, um, it uh, leverages. Right. Well, if, so you, if there is an question, yes. Yeah. Right. But I'm, I'm actually, I'd like, if, if, unless you're in a rush to get somewhere else. Um, so mm -hmm. the, on the, the word endemic, uh, it's, uh, I understand what you're saying. My concern is that if any broad, if this is going to any broader audience, if we can find a word that is more popularly known, because endemic, I don't think is used commonly enough for people to properly understand what we mean by it, if that makes sense. Well, um, we can just define it here because we don't have to spend a lot of time, you know, pushing the oh, terminology, yeah. right? But, yeah, I just, just, but, it, but I think, we, yeah. I was just hoping we, I was just hoping we could quickly come to a simpler, easier word, but maybe we can't. So that's that's all right. Go on. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I think that I think 
think the more interesting discussion, which was I wanted to have, is like what exactly is the relationship between uh, civilization, centralization, corruption, and evil? Yeah. Because I think, and, I think those are actually four very interesting words and concepts, and there's a lot of subtlety and nuance here that would be useful to tease apart, both to just understand where we currently stand and also think about what does it mean to move forward. So uh, to finish my point then on the earlier word, what if we used widely instead of endemically? So I something different. So you would argue that it's widespread rather because, you know, so uh, the, the, and so there's some subtleties there that we could certainly unpack, right? So I don't, um, you know, I, I actually mean endemic, not widely. How would you summarize the difference between inherently and endemically? Yeah, and, 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 and again, this also comes back, like this is it. These are the hard questions I wanted to discuss. It's okay. a, like it's not a simple word, it's a concept I'm trying to grapple with. And so yeah. rather than worrying about trying to confuse other people, uh, let's see if like, you and I can at least, is, is, are you clear on what I'm saying? And where is the distinction? So uh, and I think this gets to the idea of what does centralization even mean? Uh-huh. Right? So I had an interesting uh, experience with this this morning is that we're trying to do a little bit of, uh, we did a bunch of house cleaning and we have a three-year-old chocolate Labrador, who's a COVID puppy, who is notorious for cleaning. And so for a long time, he had, we had gate, sorry? You broke up after notoriously. I didn't notoriously fond of chewing things up. He's a Labrador, he uh, likes to pick things up in his mouth. And then when he gets that, he will find some place and start chewing it up. So we've gone through several AirPods and things like that. So for a long time, we had him fenced off. We had a central gate, which kept him in one part of the house. And then we decided when we, you know, he's gotten older and a little bit mellow, he said, okay, so now we will uh, give him, we will not have that one central gate that we keep closed. But that means that if you have a house, if you have a room with things on the floor, every individual person is responsible for closing the door of that room. Because if not, right. he will get in and start chewing up socks and things like that. So that to me is an mm -hmm. interesting uh, picture of centralized versus distributed, right? Is that everyone takes care of their own space and yeah. the, as opposed to having a central thing, we all agree this is the one thing that we put in place to uh, stop the problem, if you will. Right, right. And you know, and the failure modes are interesting, right? Like if you have younger kids, they're less responsible. If you have a shared space like the office that no one person owns, then uh, that's the place that is easiest to forget. And yeah, yeah, okay. this is what I argue that this is where empires and centralization sort of came up together was uh that uh is that okay like we said before like civilization in the absence of external threats like the polynesian culture you know uh it's not clear why you need empires or um centralization but if there is an external threat that is unpredictable i would argue that the natural human response uh sorry the the the, the 
the, the, the natural quote unquote human response is, okay, we just deal with the problem when it shows up and then we just live our life. And the idea of an empire is like, well, no, and people would have like temporary warlords. But then they said, you know, actually, we need to not just, you know, fight them when they show up. We need to prepare and train and build walls and, you know, do all these things when there is no threat so that when a threat shows up, we're ready for it. Right. And that is the idea of, of an empire with its, you know, uh, soldier class and ruling class and all these things. And that, I would argue, was the, the job to be done of imperial civilization. I guess there are, there are, so I guess it's worth distinguishing. There are, you know, using Toynbee's classification, um, things that are like proto-civilization, uh, like you can consider the Polynesian sort of a proto-civilization, where there was a widespread shared culture and uh, norms, but it didn't meet his criteria for a civilization, which was a system where internal politics matter more than external events. That was kind of his definition of a civilization. We have a certain level of complexity that you, sorry. I've been waiting for you to pause and take a breath. Um, oh yeah, so I'll pause I, and take a breath. I'm having, I'm ha I'm having this experience of um, uh, feeling like, like you're, you're, you're enjoying uh, thinking things through and that's fine. Uh, you're leaving me behind because I have so many points at which I would like to interject, but um, you're, and I think it's like the experience my wife has with me, that she finds it frustrating to talk or listen to me because I'm um, monologuing as I'm discovering new thoughts and I'm enjoying that thrill. Uh, and I'm happy to be that for you, you know, a place to process your thoughts, but I'm also conscious of the fact that we're both trying to figure out how to uh, live appropriately and under, with understanding toward our wives. And so I thought I'd bring out, bring this out and say that um, if, if, if you want to run ahead and just think your thoughts and, and run them by me, that's fine. If you want to interact, you're going to have to go at a, a different pace if you want me to follow because I'm, I'm distracted by thoughts that I'm not having opportunity to express and uh, mild okay. frustration. Uh, yeah. Okay, so good. Thank you for sharing that. I apologize. My intent was to try to define some terms to lay a groundwork for conversation, but if that's not working, I will stop. And you can ask your questions. Or well, we, we, I, I don't mind the, the goal of defining the terms. Um, it, it's the rush race to, for you to state them uh, and to cover everything before I get a word in, uh, if that makes sense. Okay, fair enough. Right. Okay, let me just pause and catch my breath, and you can yeah. reflect whatever you want to reflect. All right. Um, we're doing this silently. You're both reflecting, or you're inviting me to I mean, talk? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be quiet for a bit, and then you can reflect or speak, because I feel like I was hogging the mic, so I will pause yeah well okay and i'm gonna i'm gonna go slow and feel free to jump in anytime because of this uh, i want i i see you doing what i think jackie describes feeling like i do uh, so this is an opportunity for me to learn as well all right with that said um so 
you, uh, I brought up the word endemically versus uh, widespread or intrinsically or a variety of options there. Um, uh, you wanted to go on to four other words. Civilization, centralization were two of them. And I, if I took time to think about it, I could come up with the other two, but they're probably at the top of here. Corruption uh, and evil were the other two, for the record. Um, and you I, you said that fast enough that it didn't come through on my audio, so say the two again. Corruption and evil. Ah, corruption and evil. Okay, so three C's and an E. Corruption, evil, civilization, and centralization. And uh, so um, I'm still trying to go at a pace where you can interrupt at any point, so feel free. Great, thank um, you. Yeah. The... Uh, um, the uh, let's see i'm i'm still in the back of my mind i'm still pondering that how uh what is a good word to describe because uh you you have in, in before coming settling on the word endemically you were pushing the idea that civilization doesn't exist without corruption i'm not sure if that's quite correct but something that seemed like close to that. Right, uh, and so I, this like, is what I'm trying to tease out, is there's some subtlety there that I'm having difficulty articulating, but I'll just put a pin in that for now. Okay. Um, all right, so what is the relationship is the question that we're not settled on, or at least maybe not in agreement on, but we're not even sure probably. And um, then uh, the the connection between evil and centralization um, or so let's see civilization can centralize things some things and not centralize other things you don't have to have everything centralized to have civilization would you agree with that far yes um sure yes and so yeah, i would even claim that over time civilizations have become more decentralized which is interesting right. Um, they, a, a, a place where that's not been true in general has been in food production, that uh, food production in the U.S. has gravitated toward um, confined animal feeding operations as the dominant supplier of products from animals anyway. Obviously, that doesn't apply, but even in the case of, say, hothouse tomatoes or uh, vegetables that are grown indoors, there's um, a move toward centralization and, uh, you know, the, it's the elite or the um, uh, motivated that go and get things at farmers markets or that seek out uh, food from small farmers. And most of, you know, if you drive through the Midwest, you see miles and miles of agriculture with very few houses, right? So would you agree that centralization in the food supply is fairly common? Well, I, like I would say, uh, and I'll make the case, is that in general, uh, well, uh, I'll make my stronger claim. In general, uh -huh. the primary benefit of civilization is that it creates economies of scale through centralization. Yeah. And some of those things are, are powerful enough that they can support decentralized networks 
on top of that central core. Um, okay. And that is a wonderful thing when that is possible. But my argument is precisely that, yes, like, like civilizations centralize, that's what they do. Uh, and sometimes that centralization enables higher levels of decentralization on top of it. Right. So the fact, you know, we didn't have farmers markets when I was growing up. Right. You know, right. But, you know, and what I would argue is that the cheap, the price of basic stables got so low uh, and the quality arguably got so low that it created this higher level uh, thing where, you know, you have farmers markets or organic heirlooms. And from my perspective, there is a much wider, um, so the, the dynamic of it used to be that, like when I was growing up, there were still like family farms. Right. right. Uh, was it was a common thing. And uh -huh. over time, you know, various technological and economic incentives conspired to create the massive family farms, which resulted overall in a significant drop in food prices and arguably a corresponding drop in food quality. And that led to this organic movement and all these other movements to have more sort of uh, diverse types of food and varieties of food from a range of different producers. Um, uh -huh. And I would argue that this sort of bifurcation is fairly common in this sort of evolving civilization. If you go from sort of widespread, more or less egalitarian systems that are fairly distributed to these centralized pillars and a sort of like a, like a rainforest-like canopy with a bunch of diverse, smaller boutique systems underneath. Um, so that's but you know, and and that's how I perceive the food system is that there are these giant pillars, and then there's a lot of you know, boutique diversity underneath it, um, uh -huh. and that's kind of the model that of what I think it means to be a civilization, sort of the natural forces that drive this. Yeah. Uh, so the state called civilization. Right. So. Um... I I started into this conversation looking at the example of food and the centralization of food in relation to other things that are happening, um, but without really focusing the conversation on food. And some of the conclusions that I may have expressed may not generalize uh, beyond the food. They may be more in the area of food. I mean, there there are parts of what I've talked about that are totally unrelated to food, I'm sure. But um, all right. So, um, what what is a point of this conversation that you'd like to pick up and go further with at this stage? Sure. So, well, what I would argue, uh, let's actually go about corruption versus evil. Yeah. Slow down. Right? So start talk more if you would, because uh, somehow when you talk fast, I start losing words here. I think uh, it's fine. Partly that may be the audio system. So this is good practice for me. But slow down and smile while I'm talking. Yeah, good. So the basic idea is that when you don't, before you have a civilization, before something is centralized, you have uh -huh. a very subscale, inefficient means of production. And you tend to have a lot of scarcity of those items, whether that's military security or food security. 
And so one of the purposes of civilization is to uh, achieve better production through centralization. Wait, wait, wait. Um, and that, since, we're, since we're kind of dealing with the process of our conversation as well, let me slow, sure. slow you down. Because you, uh, you started by expressing a statement and then building on it before I'd had a chance to think about and agree to the statement. So I'm distracted. Okay, I was actually going to answer the question. I'd like two more sentences, if I might well, finish the thought. Um, how about if you start the thought over again? Because okay. I'm distracted trying to recall the foundation that you're building on, uh, and okay. I don't recall it. Now. So, yeah. Okay, okay go ahead. Okay, I'll, I'll try to make it a syllogism first, okay? Society becomes civilization to solve the problem of scaling, the first point. The second point is the way they solve this is by centralization. And that the very dynamics of centralization that help them solve the scaling problem of scarcity uh, inevitably lead to some level of corruption. Those are kind of basic three points. And therefore, calling them evil, I would argue, is somewhat simplistic because it focuses on the cost of doing the thing and without necessarily looking at the benefits. Um, and so that's basically my thesis, I'm trying to explain it as concisely as I could. So I'll stop okay. Well, that's, uh, that, for me, that's not a helpful place to stop. I need to go through step by step if I'm going to follow you and con continue sure. to uh, tell this conversation. So um, if, if, if I know in advance that you're reviewing um, several points and we're going to go back and take them up one by one, then I can just um, relax as you're going through the points. Um, as it is, my brain doesn't seem to have the capacity to keep in mind all three points at the same time at the depth that I want to think about them. Yeah, and if, if I have four points, sense. I probably blow up. But yeah, and if I don't, yes, uh, more framing and summarying and pre-summarizing, I can see makes this much easier, especially when we have purely audio and no visual PowerPoint and when we can right. get the okay. visual along. Yes, I totally understand. Right. Yeah. All right, so go back, let's go back to your first point, uh, something about Centralization is uh, the response to scarcity or to no, so the, the, the first point is that civilizations arise from societies in response to some kind of scaling problem. Okay, okay let me see if I can um, say that one more time and then I'll try and repeat it. And then I sure. can start Civilizations arise from societies in response to some kind of scaling problem usually military security. Okay, so centralization um, arrives, arises. So civilization, I'm, I'm making the case for civilization first. Okay, sorry, sorry. Civilization, not central, civilization arises in response to, uh, I think, you, did you say scarcity? And then you went to military uh, pressure. Right, a security, uh, yeah, a scarcity problem. There's an absence of a of a public good uh, okay. of interest, and in order right. and the civilization arise, and which is usually reflected in a, in a in, around some level of insecurity. 
the, the scarcity okay. of a public good creates insecurity. So this is you know if you if you if you want to uh, communicate, giving the other person the opportunity to repeat in their own words or try and even repeat in your words is a tool that I'm practicing. So yeah. um, and I'm letting you practice that. So um, civilization arises in response to a uh, 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 perceived threat or scarcity. Um, was there more to it? Did I cover that? Um, sure. That we we can stop there. That that's pretty good. Okay. Let me say it again. Civilization arises in response to a scarcity or threat. Sure. We're so we're good on that. Okay. Next point. I, I think uh, I think I'm I'm very, I'm very comfortable with that summary and conclusion. At that point, now I can lay to rest and focus on the next one. Okay, good. So the next one is that the primary way uh, civilization responds to that scarcity is uh, increasing productivity through centralization. The primary way that civilization responds to the threat of scarcity is through centralization. That In order sense. to improve productivity, yeah. Or, okay, uh, or to okay. Um, be, or raise confidence against the threat if the threat is the uh, yeah. If, if you're if it's responding to scarcity, it's production. If it's responding to an external threat, some other word other than production is probably appropriate. Right. Yeah. yeah. To me, to me, to me, the, the, the a threat implies a lack of something. Right. A military threat implies a lack of sufficient security. Uh, okay. To me, threat and security and scarcity are all sort of correlated. Or all right. Roughly interchangeable. Okay. So this is like you know when we uh, share a feeling and we repeat that, reflect back what we're hearing, right? So now we're yeah. repeating back what I'm hearing. Okay. So yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the scarcity or threat civilization's response is centralization to improve productivity. Right. Am, I tracking, am I tracking? You feel like I'm tracking yeah. with you? Right. Okay, good. Right. And the very okay, third point now? Yep, next point. Yep. The the nature of centralization uh is what enables corruption. Is if there is no central system, then corruption literally doesn't exist. There's nothing to corrupt. Okay. I think uh, so. If there's no centralization, there's nothing to corrupt. So, centralization creates the opportunity for corruption. Right. Am and I, because that, we live in a right, and I guess the uh, and this is what I mean by corruption is endemic. Is that in a uh, uh, a world of imperfect communication and imperfect human beings, any system that can fail, you know, Murphy's law, right? right? Is that every system that exists you know, had a certain design, goals, and criteria, and as long as you're within that game theory, if you will, the president's dilemma, right? Is any system that uh, is important uh, can be gained? I guess that's probably that's what I mean by corruption is endemic uh, in okay. this context. Is that 
it is inevitable that it will happen at some level, and the best you can hope for is to keep it at a manageable level. Right. So it's inevitable that there's election fraud. The question is how extensive it is. Once you have election, before you had elections, there was no election fraud, right? Right. Right. Before you had, you know, money, you had no counterfeiting. Before you language, you had no lying, right? Every system has failure mode. Every, I missed the last word, every system what? Every system has failure mode. Oh, okay. Yep. And corruption is an interesting word because it sort of means the the, the way I'm using it is deviations from the platonic ideal of what the system was supposed to do, intended to do. Yeah. Well, right. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and my point was that, yeah, okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think we're trying so far together. I have a. Uh, thought from this that's uh, going beyond. You have another thought, so we can go either direction at this point. Let me just make my fourth point, which hopefully is fairly simple, and then I can turn the mic over to you. All right, good. Right, is that um, corruption relative to its original intent is a, uh, it's sort of a pejorative term, but it's not intended to necessarily uh, like in the in the abstract sense of systems, it is uh, morally neutral because you know one person's corruption of the system is another person's you know creative uh, innovation, right? Uh, like when okay. people you know hack their proprietary software to do more interesting things. That's a quote like you know corruption is that a corruption of the system? Is that illegal behavior or is that user privacy? Is that user rights? And uh-huh. is that assigning evil to things at this level is, I would argue, premature. You have to uh-huh. have some other uh, scope. And in fact, I would argue it's actually quite hard to define evil. I think it's impossible. I think it, it, it is surprisingly difficult to assign evil without implicitly assuming a certain boundary to your system. Okay. Um, and so whether, whether, whether corruption is good, bad, or indifferent depends on your perspective, uh, good, evil, or uh, uh, that you are choosing to operate from. Um, that was my last point. Okay. Well, okay, so the last point that I heard was it's hard to define evil without a boundary, and that is requiring thought, which may be on my part to evaluate, which may be you're meant to be your main, your fourth point. So you want to state your fourth point again? Is that is that the fourth? The, 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 the third point yeah, is that. Whoops. Yeah. Right. For some reason, my phone switched. Not hearing. Right. Um, okay. Now I'm. Can you hear back. me now? Yeah, I'm I back. Somebody had the guy that spot too. Yeah. So the third point was that once you have a centralized system, you will have corruption at some level. And that whether that corruption is evil or not depends on other considerations, I guess is the short way of putting it. Okay, so when you have a system, once you have a system or centralization, you'll have some corruption. 
Um, and whether it's evil or not uh, depends on other factors or considerations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, yesterday I learned about a YouTube channel, uh, something unintended consequences. I think it's the, uh, I can probably find it quick, but anyway, the, uh, they talked, it's a, just a channel describing good intentions that went wrong. And uh, the first was a country that paid farmers to plant uh, new trees. Um, and what happened was the tree, the farmers uh, cut down mature trees to make room to plant the, and ended up deforesting 220 square miles, uh, which is the opposite of the direction the government was trying to go in this incentive program, right? So um, I wouldn't describe that. I would describe that as an unintended consequence. Uh, I wouldn't describe it to a human intentional centralized human corruption, but there is the dark side of the human heart that needs money or wants money or greed. Jesus said the love of money or greed is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, I don't know if that relates helpfully to your Well, I I would frame it differently. Okay. Is that um, well, that uh, let me see if I can make a contra- uh, un- uh, this, if the statement is uncontroversial. People respond to incentives. Is that a safe statement to make? People respond to a what? Incentives. Incentives. Yeah, yeah. Incentives. Uh-huh. Right. And so, and, and so every, they, it doesn't mean that we're fully determined by incentives, but we respond to them. Uh, right. And therefore, when we build a system, we have, uh, you know, the people who built the system had incentives, the people right. who use the system have incentives, and right. a well-designed system understands the incentives and the, uh, the, the desired goals and aligns them well, and a right. poorly designed system does them badly, and... Right. A non-existent system can't even ask those questions. That's kind of my point. If there is no system, there's no clear goal, you can't say whether you missed it or not. Once you have a goal, this is why I talk about this as my idea of the law. The law is the thing that describes how this thing exists. And if Uh there is no law, there is no sin. You know, just find what they want, once you have a law, then you have to worry about, you know, what are the consequences of it? What are the positive consequences, negative consequences, intended, unintended, uh, anticipated, unanticipated? Um, right. All those questions become relevant once you have a system. And then you can start right. asking these hard questions and you often get very embarrassing answers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and, and the, um, there's, a, there's, um, there's another. Okay. Sorry. You can talk now. I have another point, but it's minor. I was going to say, each each time you make a point, if you would stop and ask me to tell you what I'm hearing, you say, uh, you'll see see how far I am or how close I am to actually understanding what you're saying. Sure. Right. So you made a point about the forestry, and then I made a counter-framing. I'm curious what you heard and how you felt. Yeah, so um, if I understood your point, which I think I did, that uh, any system inherently has incentives or 
also disincentives um, and how well or poorly their design influences but doesn't maybe determine or control how well uh, the system works. That's a part, is that related to what you're yes, saying? Yes, but more precisely, they have incentives and disincentives relative to an intent. Okay, right. So if the system right. is and Until you know what the intent is, you don't know which incentives are uh, aligned or misaligned. Right. So then my mind uh, turned to the question of the Constitution and the quote that I heard someone recently from Jefferson, that mm -hmm. our system of government depends on a morally upright people. Um, yes. Right. So let's see that the intent is to, uh, I'm just going to take a stab, to preserve the freedoms that the um, early settlers of this country um, valued. Freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of whatever. Um, are you okay with freedom that? Freedom to own slaves. Can I throw that one in there now? I'm sorry. What was it? Freedom to own say? slaves. You, freedom oh, to own yeah, slaves. Yeah. Can I throw that one in there now? Yeah, at least some of them uh, felt that that was uh, uh, so freedom. So Jefferson and Washington in particular, right? So, okay, but yeah, well, the, there were freedoms that, that certain members of, of the society enjoyed. And one framing, one interpretation of the Constitution is that those freedoms that they enjoyed were the reason they wanted to preserve the Constitution. They right. the Constitution. Sure. Okay. Now, I, it doesn't seem to me that the Constitution um, enshrined slavery as something that the Constitution was trying to preserve, but it may have been among the, um, the freedoms that they expected. It wasn't explicit. Yeah, well, it was, it was explicitly condoned by the Constitution, just so we're clear on the facts, right? The three-fifths of other persons thing for the Southern representation was an implicit acknowledgement of, of, of slavery. Uh, so you're talking fast enough. It's not coming through well. Uh, Sorry. Can you say it? Yeah. Uh, it's it. probably too much of a tangent, but as a point of fact, the Constitution uh -huh. implicitly condoned slavery and how it counted the black population. The Constitution counted or referenced the black population? Yes, it said, it said three fifths of other persons are counted ah. towards representation in the House of Representatives. So other persons would be the slaves. All right. Yes, that's it what I meant there. And, yeah, and, and you know, like, and to your point, yeah. Were women also included in the three fifths? Women were part. No, were, women, women, yeah. women were citizens. Children, like the population for representation, did not distinguish on the basis of property, gender, or age. Um, okay. But slaves were in this weird separate category that was indirectly alluded to. And, but my point and was they, rather that yeah. And that was a deference yeah, to the Senate. I, I that's fine. I I just wanted to be yeah. clear. Because yeah. uh, I, I will yeah. Yeah. research that. Okay. All right, so now back to our main points. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll try to recall what it was, that uh, there are incentives in any system which um, support or may not support the intent. Uh, but evaluating Correct. the outcome, it's important to understand the intent of the system. Am I right. with you? Yeah, and that allows you to detect corruption, but I'm saying it's insufficient 
to define evil. Okay, so corruption, which uh, violates the intent of the system, uh, mm-hmm. corruption is the violation of the intent of the system. Is that how we're defining corruption? Yeah, I think so. That's probably a more precise way of putting what I was thinking. Okay, um, but that evil, whether that corruption is evil or not, is involves other factors that we haven't yet uh, concentrated on or focused on. Right. Right. Tracking. Yeah. All right. Carry on. Carry forward. Yeah, no, I mean, that was basically the, 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 the thesis I wanted to discuss with you. I don't have any other points to make beyond that. I just wanted to try and get uh-huh. that clear. Um, so we have at least some common terminology of civilization, centralization, corruption, and evil. And I have like five right. minutes, so it may not be time to open up a new thing. But I'm curious how you feel about this and about my, specifically about my efforts to try and distance uh, this analysis from the term evil. Uh, well, I didn't perceive it as an attempting to distance it from evil, the term evil, but um, I'm happy to, you know, if that if that's your purpose, that's fine. Um, how what I felt was good about working on the dynamics of uh, how and why I sometimes feel left out and lost in interacting mm. with you, and uh, the benefit that I may experience as I carry that awareness into my interactions with my wife. And uh, maybe hopeful that somehow this will be of value to you and your wife and your interactions. So those are some feelings. Um, yeah. Okay. That's I, good. I, I definitely appreciated your pushing back and clarifying what you were feeling and wondering about. Uh, that was uh-huh. helpful. I think that um, certainly, you know, this is a, a very messy, awkward process to try to articulate very difficult concepts over audio rather than right. in written form. Uh, so I appreciate your walking through that, and I, I'm grateful to the, I think, um, thinking through, I mean, the, uh, my main goal for these conversations is what I call, like, the fluoroscope, trying to figure out what parts are hard and which parts are soft, uh, uh-huh. and where is it in a confusion, and I feel like we've, we've at least clarified our terminology, and okay. so it will be easier to have conversations of substance without getting derailed. Uh, I guess right. a hypothesis that remains to be seen, but I'm most encouraged. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know the the the, the punchline is this is is what I felt like on our previous call. You said, well, here's all these examples of centralization creating corruption, um, and it's like, okay, yes, that is expected. And in some sense, it's kind of a feature because then you have systems that are capable of being corrupted. And right. uh, the the thing I said today is like, and, and this is a hard challenge of reform is that uh-huh. if you um, don't understand the purpose of the system, like, you know, you, you talk about the military industrial complex, right? right? Which is rife with corruption and inefficiency. Uh, I just listened to a four-hour podcast talking about the history of Lockheed Martin, you know, kind of bemoaning how bloated and inefficient the uh, defense industry is. On the other hand, it's like, you know, but what's the alternative? Like, given the incentives in the structure of the system, you know, uh-huh. is it better to have a bloated, inefficient system that still functions or to just get rid of the whole thing and to be defenseless? And uh-huh. you know, that's a valid philosophical question to ask. Um, but, you know, there is, this, there, there is at least at a given level of consciousness, let's call it, or awareness, there mm-hmm. is a trade-off between... 
uh, uh, robustness and efficiency. Uh-huh. Right? Is the more uh, uh, is that one person's waste is another person's slack. Um, right. And uh, the the it's not to say that well you're just stuck with it. No, it, it just says that when you if you want to improve things. Probably what is the unsigned quote? You cannot solve a problem at the same level of awareness or consciousness that created the problem. All right. Yep. Yep. Being of consciousness, I, yep. yeah. I need to leave at eleven forty for somewhere, so I should check the time. Oh well, I'm late. Eleven fifty-five. You should. You should have left fifteen minutes ago. We should stop now. <laughs> well, I, I, it's uh, it's a little flexible, but and you said you need to leave in five minutes, so I'll let you. Yeah. close with whatever you want and you can pray. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that's the question that is like, we want to do better. What What is the posture? What is the mindset we want to have? And I think what we want to have is the mind of Christ. I think we would probably agree on that, at least at yeah. a high level. And yep. what that is will be a great topic for uh, next time, yeah. perhaps. All right, God, thank you for Robbie. Thank you for his patience and his self-awareness as he dialogues with me, may this translate into greater self-awareness and emotional intelligence on our parts as we deal with each other and our wives and children. And where our cry of our heart is for the mind of Christ, for the heart of Christ, for the life of Christ to flow through us, to our families, to the systems we are a part of, to the systems we frankly oppose, because we see them as being inimical to flourishing and to uh-huh. fullness. And Lord, we just cry out that you would use us and work through us to help us be a part of your great redemption. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless you. All right. God bless you, Robbie. Bye.